Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Good. It's uh, good to be with you. As Andrew said, my name's Matt, and I'm a uh, pastoral resident here. I'm just happy to be able to worship with you this morning. Last, uh, last week, my fiance Holly and myself, we had the opportunity to go down to uh, Columbus, well, up, I guess, from here, Columbus, Minnesota, um, to go to Centennial Evangelical Free Church. They are the church that is going in with us and partnering with us in this revitalization of Elmwood and St. Anthony. And so I just had the opportunity to uh, just chat with John, my future ministry partner, um, to worship with them and have lunch with them. And they were just super cool and really loved Jesus and were incredibly hospitable. So we were really thankful to be able to go to that. But um, I'm glad to just be back with you all today. Why don't we just start this morning with a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. So let's pray. Lord, we... uh, We admit that we have fallen short of your glory. We admit that we are imperfect people striving to serve a perfect God. And God, you call us into a mission that gives us purpose and life. And just, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve you in this way. But God, we we realize more than that, that it is because of your son and because of the spirit that indwells us as your people that we are able to, to partner with you in this, that this mission will succeed, Lord. So we, we, we thank you today. We pray that uh, as we open your word this morning that you would speak to us, that you would teach us and convict us, and that you would lead us into being consumed with your glory, that we would be just thrilled with who you are and what you've done, and we pray that out of that would flow our worship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's just start off. I just want to start off by being really honest with you all that we are going through a ton of transition right now within our church body. Um, you might have saw in the video the, the woman playing piano, Linnea, is going to be heading off to Guatemala to do work there. We are sending Clinton Christina off as our, uh, I guess their missionary residence is their title, um, to go to Senegal to do missions in Africa. And then God willing, me and some other people are going to be heading off to St. Anthony in order to revitalize this church. And there's just a whole lot of stuff going on. So in light of that, here is our game plan for the next couple weeks. Week. So today and next week, the goal is that John, um, who is going to be lead pastoring Elmwood next week, and myself this week, we're going to be trying to usher you and, and shepherd you into what we would call a multiplication mindset. We're going to try to help you see this is something that we've been sowing into our DNA all along as a church, that part of following Jesus means being willing to send people as God would call them, being willing to be generous with our own church members in order to see the gospel take root in another place. But along with church multiplication, I, just, I don't want us to lose sight of the main thing. We want to keep the main thing the main thing, and for us, obviously, that is Jesus. Some of you might know this um, about me, but uh, so I'm part-time on staff here, but for my other part-time job, um, I coach a boys' gymnastics team um, at a gymnastics club out in Chanhassen, and so I was a gymnast growing up, and uh, I was a gymnast in college, and after I got out of college, uh, the the job kind of just fell in my lap, and I'm going into my fifth season coaching this group of boys, and we've seen uh, that program grow, and it's been really awesome getting to develop uh, those relationships. It definitely has its ups and downs working with boys between the ages of six and 18. You get to see a little bit of the ebb and flow of life seasons, but it's really been a huge blessing to me. And as you can imagine, 
As with many other sports, gymnastics certainly has its level of fundamental skills. It's got its basic skills that provide the foundation uh, that the uh, student, the gymnast, is able to learn higher level skills. So sometimes I'm working with a kid and they've gone through the basics list that we have written out for them. And they get through that sufficiently and they're like, all right, you're gonna try and learn a harder skill now. You give them something more difficult to do. And sometimes those basics then fall apart. And because of that, they're not able to do the, the higher call that they have on them to do uh, some more difficult or more advanced skills. And in many ways, I think we're called to go above the basics of our faith. We read Hebrews 6 and we're supposed to go above the elementary principles of our faith. And in the midst of pursuing that call of going after the more advanced things that Jesus calls us into, I believe it's really, really easy for us to forget the fundamentals that have served us all this time in our faith walk with Christ. So the plan today is we're going to go back to basics and we're going to build that foundation so that we can talk about church multiplication in a healthy way this week and next week. So we're going to try and be reminded, for many of us these are going to be reminders, but hopefully it'll be inspiring. We're going to be reminded of three things. The first thing is we're going to be reminded of our king, the second thing we're going to be reminded of our mission, and the third thing we're going to be reminded of our company. So our king, our mission, and our company. So I just want to invite you with that. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28. So go ahead and grab a Bible. There's pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, and if you don't have a Bible, please keep that. It's our gift to you. It should be on page 835. And this is a passage that may, many of you may have on coffee cups or on a t-shirt or on your wall. Like This is a, a pretty common passage. We're going to look at verses 16 through 20. And for those of us that are caught up in Christian subculture, this is the passage that we commonly and famously know as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. And while you're getting over there... Let's just take a second to consider the context because what we're doing is we're stepping into an entire book of scripture in this collection of books we call the Bible and we're looking at the very last section of it. So we have a whole other 27 chapters of context that's been building up to this point right here. And so when we're looking at Matthew, we're looking at this specific disciple's historical account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. But when we look at this book from a big picture perspective, we look from a 30,000 foot view, it appears that Matthew has one main goal in mind. And it's to show that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, that he is the king of the Jews from David's line. We read that from the beginning of chapter one when it talks about his genealogy and then we get to the end and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get to the end of the sermon. But he's trying to show that Jesus is the Christ, which is the Greek translation of Messiah. And just like the other Gospels, just like Mark and Luke and John, uh, there are some consistencies with Matthew's Gospel. He, we see Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary and being baptized in the Jordan, and then he's baptized with the Spirit. And then he calls 12 disciples, and he goes on this mission to heal and to, to lead people into following him. And then eventually one of his uh, disciples, Judas, betrays him, and he is crucified as a criminal even though he lived the perfect life. And then we step into chapter 28, and we start to read about the resurrection. So there's two ladies, Mary Magdalene and another Mary. It doesn't say specifically which one. They go to this tomb to see the body of Jesus, and it's empty. And they're told that Jesus has risen, and then they end up meeting in body the risen Jesus, and he tells them, don't be afraid. 
He says, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee and there they'll see me. And so as we read this passage today in verses 16 through 20, we're reading that conversation, that situation where the disciples have finally showed up in Galilee and this is what took place there. So that's what we're picking up today. Let's stand in honor of reading God's word. It's only four verses. If you're tired, we'll be okay to stand for four verses. And, uh, and then we will get into it. Um, so it says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Thanks, you can go ahead and have a seat. So just a reminder, our three fundamentals, our king, our mission, and our company. So verses 16 through 18, we look at this. The disciples, Judas has died by this point, so there's only 11 of the 12 that Jesus invested in left here. They show up and meet Jesus at the mountain, and we see some of them doubting, some of them believing, and then Jesus tells them that he has all authority. And the meat of our passage, if I'm honest with you, doesn't really start until verse 19, but I I do want us to acknowledge something before we get to that place. I think we can all attest to the fact that when we have a leader, nobody is going to follow a leader unless they are worthy of being followed. That doesn't mean that they are always the coolest or the most invested in culture or the most popular, but there's something about their leadership that is attractive that people are willing to trust them to lead them in the right direction. And so if we're going to acknowledge the mission that Jesus is calling us into, we must first start with our king and ask ourselves whether he is even worthy of being followed. We read the entire, we read the entire Old Testament and humanity we see has fallen drastically short of what God would have wanted for them. They have rebelled against him and God goes into this mission of redeeming all of the creation that has been broken by the fall. And as we do this, we, we look at the Old Testament from a big, uh, big picture, and it's painting a picture of a king, that there's going to be some kind of king that is going to come, that's going to make it all all right, that is going to fix what has been broken, is going to redeem his people. And this is not a king uh, like we have that we would consider a, a, a totally human king. When we, when we think of our leaders, often we think of them making maybe good or bad decisions, or we think of them having positive personal characteristics or more negative attributes to their personality. But for Jesus, as we consider our king, the Old Testament is painting a picture that this king is absolutely morally perfect, that he is personally just above reproach in all of his ways, and that he never makes bad decisions. He rules perfectly over his people. The prophet Isaiah actually picks up on this in chapter 9. We read this passage oftentimes during Christmas as we read about this child who is going to bear the government upon his shoulders. And then he gets called three different names. Do you guys know what those names are? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. If you got those, then you, you win Bible trivia for, uh, for the morning. But those are the three names that this child this coming Messiah is known by. 
And so we see Matthew and these disciples, we have to understand that this is going on in their mind as they're coming into contact with their risen Lord, that this prophecy written by Isaiah and this promise that God made for a king is coming true right before their eyes. And this isn't to say that none of them doubted. In fact, we see that some of them doubted. And for us, I think it's worth acknowledging that as a broken people, as God calls us into circumstances that mold us and stretch us, that doubt is part of our experience of walking with God. We see that some were doubting. But then Jesus opens his mouth and he says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Friends, if you want to be comforted in every season, in every circumstance, in all of the ups and all of the downs of life, then this is your passage to stick to. We start with believing that, that Jesus really has all authority. And every time we doubt, we remind ourselves, we preach this to ourselves, that he is in fact sovereign and has rule over everything, no matter what we're going through. This should be some of the most comforting news that you or the world will ever hear. And unfortunately for the world, this is threatening in many ways. But this should be the most comforting thing for them. Because like I said, Jesus is not like other kings or leaders. His justice is perfect. And his power, as he claims right here, is limitless. No matter what we're going through, whatever we're weighed down by, and especially as we get into transition, there are a lot of heavy things to be weighed down by. No matter what that is, Jesus is not weighed down in the slightest by our junk. Just think about this for a minute, how fickle our lives can seem. We get so stuck on one thing or one situation or one worry, and it consumes our entire well-being. Our lives can seem so burdensome, and yet for Jesus, these aren't problems to be fixed, right? These are, these are circumstances that he wants to redeem in our lives, Unlike many leaders who then function completely above their followers, having little to no interaction with them, we see Jesus come, even though he is God incarnate, the infinite who is taken on flesh, he comes and gets into the trenches with us. And he doesn't just share with our joys and our sorrows. I think it's really easy for us to consider the ups and the downs, the highs and lows of our life. But something that Jesus does that is so extraordinary is he just shares in our average day-to-day human experience. And then he dies. And he dies to save us from our sin. And so I don't know about each of you, but if we're going to talk about our king, I would say that the infinite God who has taken on flesh to redeem me and make me new and show me life as it was meant to be lived, I think that is a leader that is worth following everywhere and anywhere. So hopefully you're a bit jazzed up after listening about all that Jesus talk, but I, I, I honestly, I don't think it's that hard if we look at the evidence to historically and rationally and theologically work through the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. It's not that hard to intellectually submit to that idea. But it is difficult, I think, when it really gets hard is when the rubber meets the road and this king, he asks something of us. That's when it gets difficult. 
And that's where we read verse 19, the meat of our passage, verse 19 through the beginning of 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So of all the things that this king, the God of the universe, the infinite judge, could ask us to do to partner with him is he just wants us to make disciples. If you've been around the church long enough, then this is another familiar word to you. you you've probably heard a sermon on this passage even before or studied it in some shape or form. And if you've never set foot in a church before, then you probably at least know the word disciple. But unfortunately for most of us, I would say that term has really been robbed of its meaning. It's been emptied of what it actually meant to these disciples when Jesus told them to go and make more of themselves. We read this word in Greek and it gets translated into English as disciple, but in our day and age when we think of discipleship, it's kind of clouded as they would have received it. I think maybe a better word that we can use is a word that um, John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, uses very often. He talks about apprenticeship. So Mitch Holly's brother um, is a, a plumber's apprentice. And uh, so as such, I've gotten to kind of get a glimpse of what apprenticeship really looks like as he goes and he comes under the authority of other plumbers in order to learn and hone and perfect his craft in order that he could do the job well, that he could be an ambassador of his own profession. And I think that's a really, really good image for us to take in when we think of discipleship, that we are coming under the authority of Jesus and we're not just doing things to do them in order that Jesus would love us. We are doing things because we really and sincerely believe that his way of life is in fact the better way and we are throwing ourselves before him saying, teach me, I want to live the life like you lived it. And I fear though that this has become watered down I fear that we sit around and have our vague spiritual conversations at Starbucks and we sit in our community groups and circles and talk about what our, our Bible verses mean to us and we think that this is apprenticeship to Jesus. And those are certainly facets, so don't hear me condemning those things, but that is only part of what it means to live the life that God has called us into. As we look at verse uh, 19 into 20 that we just read, in Greek, we only see one command. When we read it in English, it says, go therefore and make disciples. And we think of that as one command, but in Greek, um, it's actually what we would call one command and three participles. So maybe a better way to translate this um, from the Greek would be going therefore, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. So it's make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching is how the Greek is actually set up. And that's really, really important for us to get this morning because we see the characteristics of discipleship in this command. We see discipleship having some kind of teaching. We see it having some type of baptism and some type of going. But what I, what I don't want you to do, don't write that down and then go home and make your whole apprenticeship to Jesus plan based on these three things. That's not what I think the text is trying to say to us. What what it is saying to us, though, is that true discipleship has the heart of these things throughout it. The reality that there's some kind of movement involved in us following Jesus. That's the going. And the reality that there's some kind of submission to who God has revealed himself to be in the Trinity 
as the Father sends the Son and the Spirit empowers him and the Spirit indwells us. That is, the baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And third, the reality that discipleship involves some kind of obedience piece. And I think we get real caught on that one, and sometimes we miss out on the other ones. But that is only one-third of what it means to, to follow Jesus as an apprentice, teaching them to observe. We'll keep this section just kind of short and sweet, but I, I want to ask you to consider your own discipleship this morning and take the things, the heart behind these things, the going, the baptizing, and the teaching, and, and think about ways that you're doing that really well. And, and commend yourself for that and be encouraged by that and persist in that. And then consider the ways that maybe you're not doing those so well and start to work those into your life on maybe a more regular basis. So in what ways are you going? And for Holly and myself and, and hopefully some others here, um, we're feeling God calling us to go to Elmwood to help revitalize this church. That is one form of going, but that doesn't mean that all of you, and I, I, I can say with pretty darn sure certainty, not all of you are meant to go to Elmwood or else the church would be empty. But, I, but you can go more deeply into your church community. You can go more deeply into the word of God. So in what ways are you going? And how are you reminding yourselves of the truths of God? We talk about right belief. It leads to right practice. This can be as simple as spending just a little bit of time each day in God's word. This can be as complex as sitting around reading theology textbooks. But in what ways are you reminding yourselves of the truths of God and growing into that? Let's not just be led into the elementary principles of our faith, but be grounded in the basics and build from there. And what's your obedience to Christ look like right now? I mean, we've, we've already looked at who Jesus is. I was on the phone with uh, one of my I'm getting married in October, one of my groomsmen, uh, yesterday, and I was talking to him, and he is not a follower of Jesus, and I was talking to him about why, how I'm going to phrase this when it comes to why you guys should follow the Great Commission, and we came to the conclusion that we should just say, because Jesus says so, but that doesn't take up 30 minutes of time, and so I, I couldn't just say that, um, but, but for real, when we consider our obedience to Jesus, we've looked at who Jesus is, and if I'm going to be frank with you, if you're not going to follow Jesus, I, I wouldn't follow anybody. I wouldn't listen to anybody. I don't think there's anybody that is more trustworthy. So if you're not going to follow him, then consider who you're following and why you're wasting your time submitting ultimately to their authority. Because ultimately, we should be coming into submission under our king because he is the only perfect and good and righteous one who can lead us into greener pastures. Brothers and sisters, Jesus desires to give us the abundant life, and this specific mission in verses 16 through 20 is meant to give us purpose. I believe Andrew talked a little bit about purpose last week. This is meant to give us purpose. So if your purpose is being found elsewhere, then how can you start working the Great Commission into your different circles? How can you work the Great Commission making disciples into your, your work circles? How can you work it into your friends and your family and your own personal following of Jesus? It, it'll definitely look different. No matter where we go, this is gonna look different what it means to make disciples. But nonetheless, that doesn't take us off the hook from having to do it. 
It is still something that Jesus calls us to do, so let's, you know, make it happen. Last, let's, uh, let's consider our company, and I'm, uh, I'm not talking about our, our businesses. I'm talking about company and the fact of the very real presence of God through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, empowering us to follow him with perseverance. No matter how much encouragement I can give you this morning or anyone sitting around you can give you this morning, the task of making disciples is really over our head. If you didn't come out of that last section and thinking about the going and the teaching and the baptizing and thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. If you didn't come out feeling like you have this huge task ahead of you, then I would encourage you to go back and meditate on that passage more. Because making disciples of all nations that are willing to come under the lordship of Christ and do those things in their apprenticeship to the risen Lord, that is something that is impossible for us to do in our own power. I've uh, I heard this saying before that God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that, so I feel like I'm not alone up here. Okay, yeah, so I've heard this. And as we look at this passage, and as we look at scripture, it appears that that's not true. And as we look at the Great Commission, this is evidence that Jesus is giving us something that we can't handle, especially on our own. But that is, that's where the beauty is of how Jesus follows up his command to make disciples, right? He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he gives us a task that's impossible to do alone, and he says, but you're not alone. I am with you always. I love this so much when we consider Matthew's gospel as a whole. We were talking about Isaiah and how there's this huge, just messianic Messiah imagery going on in the book of Isaiah, and there's this child who is going to be known as the mighty God and the Prince of Peace, these three names we had talked about. And then, but we look a little bit before that, we look at Isaiah 7, and it describes another child who is going to be known as, I heard this before, Emmanuel. And this is the Hebrew word for God with us. And so we're reading in Isaiah about this God with us, messianic figure. And then we get to Matthew, who's trying to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Israel. And how does he end his gospel with Jesus saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's here we end Matthew with Jesus being the very real presence of God with us. Believers, do you realize what his presence means? It means that you're not ultimately responsible for making disciples and saving people. Okay, none of you can save anybody, not your neighbor, not your family, not your friends. You are incapable of doing this great work. However, God can save them. And our responsibility in that is that we are open in obedience to be the means by which God leads others to himself. And with this understanding, church, it it means that you don't have to manipulate people in your different circles of friends and relationships in order to lead people into really awkward spiritual conversations. 
let me, like, when I think of this, I was trying to think of an example. This is like if I was coaching a kid, like, on the rings or something, and I'm spotting them, and I'm like, all right, you're going to go upside down now, and as you're going upside down, I'm going to tell you how Jesus turned my life upside down. Like, that's just, like, so weird. Like, don't do that. Like, you're not, that's just bad. You're not called to that. Church, all you're called to is simple obedience. And as God sovereignly opens doors, you are called to bold proclamation. That's the threefold pattern we see. Simple obedience, God opens a door, and you boldly proclaim. So you do have to be ready to share the gospel, but you don't have to be weird in order to do it. And <laughs> Please don't be weird. Please don't do this thing. But church as a whole, and unbelievers alike, you might also feel unqualified to even follow Jesus, let alone make disciples for him. But I just want to submit to you, there's a, a quote um, that Larry Osborne, another pastor, has, and he says that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And we are those crooked sticks. Jesus is well aware of every one of your sins in every one of the ways that you fall short of following him. He's aware of your inability to know all the answers to all the questions that are being uh, said to you. He is well aware of your fear of confrontation. And he's aware of your seeming lack of time. That seems to be the biggest one. Why aren't we making disciples? Because I don't have time. He's aware of that as well. Let him open doors in the places where you're busy. He still says, being aware of all of those things, I'm with you. I am Emmanuel. And, and at that point, at that point, if that is true, that he is really with us and he is the only one able to save and he is sending his spirit to empower us to serve him well, if that is really true, then the only proper response to go and make, just to, I am with you is, what do you want me to do? What do I do? And his response is, go and make disciples. I want us to just be encouraged to respond this morning in this heart posture of surrender as we acknowledge that the infinite God has, wants to partner with us in this mission. We have this unique privilege that despite the fact he is the only one that can fulfill it, he has given us the privilege to partner with him for the good of the world and to honor and glorify himself. So as we move into communion this morning, we're going to remember this king, and we're going to remember this mission and what he did in order to secure even the opportunity to do this mission, that he was broken for us, that he was crucified. As we, as we take the bread, we remember his body. As we drink the juice, we remember his blood. And if you're, a, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, then this symbol is rem of remembrance is for you. We're going to pass the plate, so go ahead and take it as you get it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this moment is equally for you. I just want to plead with you to consider the abundant life that Jesus offers you, the truths that we have talked about from God's word this morning. But ultimately, I don't want you to pursue Jesus because of what you get from him. 
That is, that is way too easy to do. Jesus will forgive me for my sin. Okay, I want to be forgiven for my sin, so I'll follow Jesus. Jesus wants to uh, give me uh, the power to do things I never thought I could do in my own power. All right, I'm gonna follow Jesus so I get this. Do not follow Jesus because of what you get from him. Follow Jesus because of who he is. You are not forgiven from your sin as this separate thing from Jesus. Jesus is your forgiveness of sin. And as we take communion this morning, I want us to remember that. And unbeliever, I'll be up here to talk and answer questions and, and just talk with you about Jesus. Whatever you need, I will be up here willing to chat and pray. And if anybody needs prayer, please you can come on up as uh, the worship team is gonna come up. Church, we'll just end on this simple note that we have a king in Jesus, a king above all kings, and he's given us this fantastic mission. I put this slide up as we were praying through and we wanted God to give us the opportunity to do another thing, another gathering we got there, another church he is opening doors for us to do this at Elmwood, and another country we are sending two people to do mission in another country. He has come through in incredibly gracious ways. And he wants all of us here, regardless if those are specifically where you're called to or not, whether you're called to be right here and be invested in this church body, he wants us to take part in this mission with him. And he promises as we do this that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And as we worship this morning, let's just remember that and be encouraged by that and really, really listen to where the Spirit is leading us and considering the ways that we are going to make disciples in our own circles of influence in order to bring him glory. Let's pray. Lord, we know that we are incapable of making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching and going. And Lord, this is scary that you call us out of our comfort zones so often in order to glorify yourself, to demonstrate your own power. And yet, God, you call us nonetheless, and we are just blessed with grace upon grace that you would desire, not that we would just follow you in this vague way, but you've given us a purpose and you've given us something to do. We are people who are meant to work for your kingdom and you've given us the way to build your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would see us through in that. We trust that this call will not fail. And we pray, God, that you would just be with us. You have promised this, so we pray that you would make your presence known to us and help us to boldly step into the places of obedience that you would have us. Have your will in us for your glory, Lord, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.